everybody, John here. I just want to remind you that you can always reach me at covertcontact at protonmail.com. I get email from all over the world. I love hearing from you. Tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you'd like to see covered. If you have some guests that you'd like to see on the show, let me know their names. And if you'd like to be on the show yourself, reach out. Let me know. Welcome to Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week your host, John Little, takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world. All right, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 111. I am your host, John Little. Joining me today is Dean Barada, frequent guest on the show. We we uh, we like to talk about the business of intelligence process, running teams, uh, operations. Dean, welcome back to Covert Contact. Oh, I said great to hear, John. Thanks. Uh, it's hard to believe you're already at episode 111. Yeah, the new setup allows me to do this um, and turn these around much faster than before. So we were talking earlier and. Um, you know, you 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 teach and you you mentor a lot of early career, early stage career folks in intelligence. And uh, one of the things we were talking about is that the the paths to the, to a career in intelligence are, are really varied, and it's I don't know if I want to say easier, but you know, a lot of people have a sort of a very rigid thinking on this, or have no awareness of all about how the how you begin a career in intelligence and how you can kick one off. And you have a lot of interesting thoughts on this. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been talking to undergraduate students now um, for several years, probably for five years now. And I'm, uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm always, I am still surprised (laughs) that um, the number of, uh, the number of young folks who don't know that really Intel is a, is a potential career field for them. Um, And then, even among those who may know, uh, they kind of don't know beyond the three-letter agencies. And, and, and it does make sense, right? Because um, that's what's on TV. That's what's yeah. in the movies. That's what people talk about. Um, and certainly when I worked in law enforcement um, and I would talk to interns and, and students, they, they all knew about FBI um, because that was, what was, you know, that was the agency that was focused on most of the law enforcement uh, TV shows. They all wanted to work in the special victims unit, right? Because that's what was played. But um, uh, there's just, there's so much more um, that they can do, so many different opportunities they can do that um, I, I try to sort of um, give them some additional options, right? And, and give them some other places to, to look. Because also the three-letter agencies, can be incredibly competitive because um, that's what everyone knows. So looking at those lesser known agencies or starting at a different level of government um, uh, can make um, uh, really sort of help an applicant sort of rise to the top of that particular talent pool. We've seen so much change and actually undergoing so much change in the private sector right now where yeah. companies um, – are increasingly in a really large scale realizing that they have to have essentially the same awareness that, that federal agencies need to have in terms of what's happening in the world, 
uh, threats are emerging and posing uh, risks to companies in ways that have never happened before, um, at least at a scale that's never happened before, because the world is so interconnected now. Yeah, and, and, and the expectations for um, what companies should do, not only to protect themselves, but protect their employees um, and um, you know their intellectual property, is, um, is growing. Right, the expectations are are that those companies will take a more proactive approach than perhaps they would have done 20 years ago. So that definitely creates more opportunities um, in in the private sector. Well, yeah, and they and they have to proactively look outward now much more than they did, as opposed to just sort of looking yeah. at their own internal systems or people. Uh, they really need that that predictive. Um, you know, forward-looking view that's, you know, classic geopolitical intelligence. Yeah. You can, I mean, you know, great example now is um, two two examples right now. It's certainly China, right? So we have the um, coronavirus pandemic that caused all sorts of problems with supply chain and disruptions there. Um, but now we have um, increasing tensions between the U.S. and China. So if you have Whatever it is, if you have manufacturing over there, or you have an intellectual property over there, um, or you're in an industry that is a, of interest to both governments, um, you you or your personnel might get targeted. Um, your business practices may get disrupted, even if even if you're not the primary target, um, but you're just collateral damage. Um, there can be real world implications there, and if um, ideally you have somebody in your organization who's um, looking out and giving you warnings about that or um, helping you make business decisions um, on, on those bases um, before things start falling apart, right? So, so that's one. But, but you, you know, we're in such a, such a, a tense um, world right now. Pick your country, right? Uh, Belarus, Russia, um, virtually the entire Middle East, right? Um, there's so many places where things um, that – may not, you know, may not directly involve the company, but still have an impact on their operations. Um, and all of that sort of calls for someone or some people um, who can look at those threats, analyze them, and then um, help decision makers um, uh, make, make, good, make good decisions. Yeah, contextualize them so that they understand why, yeah. why it matters. Yeah, and some sometimes these these threats, especially now, can they can seem so bizarre, so arcane, and um, even in cases where the company you know realizes that they need to be aware of this or becoming aware of this, um, it, it can be um, it can be make for some very interesting briefings. Yeah, and and that's really talking about half the picture. That's really looking at the strategic picture, but there's also a whole, for lack of a better term, tactical picture. Um, companies have, um, you know, companies have facilities, they have people and, um, you also need to, um, protect those, right? So yes, we're worried about us Chinese tensions, but you know what? We're also worried about what's the possibility of an active shooter showing up uh, yeah. or a disgruntled employee. That's the one place where companies have, are sort of ahead of the game a little bit. I mean, they've larger mm -hmm. multinational companies. They've done a pretty good job historically on. Um, you know, sort of the, the threat to personnel and facilities side of things. Yep. 
and sort of threat and fraud, you know, that a lot of that falls under legal departments. But that's right. still another um, facet of what Intel work can do or can assist it, right, um, uh, in, in, in the private sector. So as these companies grow, um, yeah, and in, yeah, um, these are all opportunities that folks who want to get in the field can, can sort of ex- explore and take advantage let's, of. Let's yeah. maybe just take off a few of the places that, you know, as a, as an intelligence analyst that you can work, because again, like we want, what we want people to understand is it's not necessarily a federal agency. Um, you know, you can, you can do the same level of work with the same rigor, uh, and the same, same scope, uh, in the private sector. Yeah. Um, and now I will admit I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. Um, I still think that, um, one of the, best ways to sort of cut your teeth in the field is through public service. Um, I just think you have, you know, a longer tradition, um, more generally more thought in in training and um, preparedness and, and sort of getting into the field that, that I haven't seen a lot in the private sector. Um, For me, uh, one of the big advantages uh, was I was able to sort of get into the field right out of high school through the military. Um, uh, obviously, there's going to be differences between, um, you know, joining the agency and coming in um, uh, as a military analyst, but you still sort of get at least that flavor. You get that start. Um, I recommend the military. Almost none of my students take me up on it uh, <laughs> because it is also an opportunity to um, get a security clearance. You don't have to worry about that requirement where you need, you know, it seems like most, um, even quote unquote entry level jobs I see in the field require three to five years of experience. But how do you get those three to five years? Um, that's, that's sort of the first big barrier that's hard to, to cross. Um, the military does make that easier. Um, but I understand it's not for everybody. There are a lot of opportunities out there though, especially at the entry level. Um, and it's, in some sense it can be sort of a downside because again, we talked about that rigor, like you don't necessarily have it and it's not necessarily um, in place in a lot of companies. I think the bigger your company is and the more established it is, the more likely it is that you're going to be working with, you know, an environment where they understand that and, and likely is staffed with folks who are former government who are doing this in the private sector. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you are just like trying to claw your way in, there are a lot of smaller outfits and companies where you might not have the benefit of having a lot of folks around you who have that experience. You can get your, you can get a start and you can, you can use that as a stepping stone into a larger organization where you can surround yourself with people who can really help you. Yeah. I mean, the, the other advantage that folks getting into the career now have that certainly I didn't have is, um, it's so much easier to connect. There's more professional organizations that you can connect with. Um, and there's just so many more people talking about the field, right? Um, whether it's even this podcast um, or um, other, there's just other venues. There's more people talking about the profession. There's more places to go that you don't have to be part of a, um, a secret society, if you will, to, to begin to get some of the basics down. And that is really useful. Um, there's outreach efforts right now um, for, for students. The intelligence community has um, outreach efforts to um, uh, institutions of higher education to uh, 
Um, their goal is to sort of increase diversity in the IC, but it is an opportunity for sort of any any student to begin to um, absorb some of that rigor um, and understand the context in which intelligence work is done. And, and some of that is really, really well done. So there there are options, particularly for, your, for folks who are self-motivated, there are options yes. to sort of get up to speed that simply were not there you know, when I was an 18, 20, 22 year old, you know, brand new. No, it's it's changed so much just in the past few years. Another angle there is even CIA makes a tremendous amount of the craft of analysis, like uh, works on that available on their website. Uh, The amount of open source analysts out there and the number of them sharing um, their work, their tools, techniques. If you're self-motivated, all the material you possibly need, all the access you need is out there, you know, to start on that path. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Um, and the, you know, the other thing I, I recommend for folks looking to sort of get their foot in the door is not to limit themselves. And, and what I mean by that is um, there are even in the government level, at the municipal level a little bit, but certainly at the county level, if you're in the United States, at the state level, um, there are so many organizations um, that have some sort of intelligence component, whether that is a law enforcement agency, a regulatory agency, there's tons of them. And um, again, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I really recommend that analysts start, at least do a, a, some amount of time in the quote-unquote tactical field. Um, uh, rather than jumping right into geopolitical um, strategic level analysis. And um, the reason I recommend that is, is I think it's important throughout your career before you start making those big policy recommendations to understand what the consequences of those decisions look like on the ground, right? I mean, at some point you're going to ask somebody to do something that um, will be dangerous, um, to put themselves at risk, um, and... Um, you should be involved in, in that process, at least for a while, at least for a part of your career. Yeah. And, and the other reason is, yo, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, finish your thought. I was going to say, you know, the other reason is from a job satisfaction point of view, again, my, my impression, it, particularly when you're early in your career, tactical is where you get more immediate feedback, right? Um, when you are helping an agency sort of conduct, uh, prepare for uh, the execution of a search warrant or arresting someone or conducting a military operation, whatever it is, there's a culmination of that effort, right? And you can see it. You've made the arrest. You've, you know, uh, captured that piece of ground, whatever it is. And that sort of reinforcement, hopefully positive reinforcement, um, sort of to sort of continue to sort of make that flywheel go around and encourage you to sort of stay and learn more about the craft and stay in the field. Yeah. One of the things I recommend to folks is if, you know, if you're not in a program where, you know, you have some level of training to be an analyst, uh, start out on the collection side, the threat detection side. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. obvious, um, you know, entry point. And um, many folks are able to make the transition uh, over a few years from collections into a junior analyst. And these are people who, in lots of different companies, this, a lot of this in the private sector, they're, they're either sweeping the news or the company's products and looking for uh, threats that have been identified by, by analysts. And, and, you know, if they get good at it, they start to get to a point where they can identify their own and do some of their own targeting. So 
Um, that's an excellent way to start to get a feel for the intelligence process and understand at a a tactical level, like how the business works. Yeah. And there's some great opportunities. Um, uh, again, I, I was probably mid career when I, when I started working doing Intel for some law enforcement agencies, that is a great introduction. Um, I had a completely unstructured, um, introduction to law enforcement intelligence. Um, they essentially threw me in the deep end. I, I was not particularly happy with it, but um, the ability to work with detectives, um, work on cases, see what was of value to them, you know, what information they would key in on, um, that was amazingly helpful. Um, and, you know, um, if you're a junior analyst and you get that opportunity, um, that will only serve you well as you sort of move forward um, in your career. So, um, and it doesn't need to be at the FBI. Again, it could be at a state level, it could be a county level sheriff. Sometimes, you know, oftentimes they'll have some sort of an Intel component. Some larger municipalities will have, um, Intel that's good to do. Um, you know, do that for, you know, a couple of years and really get your feet wet. And then some analysts love that work and they want to spend the rest of their careers. That's awesome. But if, um, for those who want to do the more strategic stuff, having that under your belt, like, I don't think that ever, um, it's never a drawback. It, it only sort of uh, accrues to your benefit. Yeah. One thing I want to be clear on too is, um, you know, maybe set some boundaries when we talk about being self-motivated and the tools that you mm. can go out there and learn yep. and, um, you know, people you can network with. We're not suggesting uh, that you go out and set up your own private intelligence agency. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there are very um, uh, significant uh, ethical considerations and legal considerations. Intelligence doesn't always mean espionage, spying, deceiving people. If you're in the private sector or if you're an independent actor, uh, there's a there's a gigantic difference between you know learning how to kind of analyze these issues and write about them and piece together an intelligence product uh, versus going out and doing something silly. Absolutely, and and the other thing is there is a vibrant open source intelligence or or OSINT community out there um, who are um, willing to share their techniques. Um, in some cases, um, they will put out occasional calls for help. But you, you know, in those cases, you should be looking at open source stuff that is publicly available, right? Um, you should not be setting up your own honey traps. You shouldn't be, you know, um, you don't need to be, um, you know, trying to do some sort of undercover dodgy work. Um, uh, if you're starting out, start with what everyone in the world can see. Um, there is lots and lots of information to distill um, of high value distill from open source information. and. Um, the size and vibrancy of the community is, you know, is really exciting watch. Um, and yeah, and, and many of those techniques, I'd say most of those techniques, um, still aren't widely used, um, in government or in corporations. There's, there's some, but there's still lots of room for a sharp, motivated person to sort of learn those skills and take them to uh, somewhere and wow. Their, their, in their new agency. That's one of the things, that's one of the reasons we're doing this is uh, even fairly advanced companies that are already moving along this, this track, uh, there's still a tremendous amount of uh, room for growth uh, for intelligence as 
uh, a profession and, you know, and having a, ta- a seat at the table for those strategic decisions. Like there's a, there's a lot to mine yep. here that hasn't been done. Like you said, OSINT in the private sector is really only done at like a superficial level in most cases, if at all beyond, you know, reading the news. We're going there, right? Like all these things are going to continue to evolve. It's a really good time, actually, if you're thinking about embarking on a career. There are a tremendous amount of options. It almost reminds me of of the early days in the internet um, and how companies were trying to figure that out. And if you were scrappy, in the mid nineties, like you, you could go from zero to a hundred in a couple of years. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, some of the, my earlier comments, right. Where I said, Oh, I joined the military. I was working in law enforcement. I understand. And I've encountered students who have said, um, well, I don't want to do that. Cause I have, um, ethical issues with this particular agency or, or, you know, that kind of work, whatever. Um, I would, um, I would say a couple things. Um, a, if you do feel strongly of that you don't want to work with a government agency or thing, um, that that does not necessarily from you. There are non-governmental organizations that have investigative and intelligence components to it. Um, so it, it limits it, but it doesn't eliminate it. Um, and there are still opportunities. The example I use frequently is uh, there are a lot of folks and a lot of former intelligence folks who work on things like animal trafficking. Um, yep. Or yeah. poaching, you know, yeah. and so you can absolutely use this skill set, and I would argue that most people do for good, um, you know. But yeah. if you don't want to go work for a three-letter agency, um, there's a tremendous amount of support that you can do for NGOs and other causes that are, you know, would be very comfortable for you. Yeah, but the the flip side of that is, um, I would encourage you, if that's sort of the way you're you're thinking, um, to rethink that. Um, Look, when you're part of any organization, it is highly unlikely that you're going to agree with every policy decision that's made, right? Um, sometimes you're going to disagree strongly. Um, and I do believe uh, in public service, regardless of kind of almost any country, um, it's better that that agency looks um, not only physically, but sort of in terms of thought, you know, represents the people that it serves. and um, uh, by not participating, um, in that field, um, other, you know, other people are going to, and, it becomes a self-fulfilling uh, that prophecy. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how much better is it to be in that agency where, um, you, a, you can see what's going on, B, you can uphold the standards that that agency sets for itself. Right. Um, uh, there are very few agencies, um, certainly in the United States, there are no agencies in the United States that say, we're going to do unethical things. We're going to do, you know, criminal things. Um, uh, this is an opportunity, not necessarily to be a, um, you know, a uh, uh, play the role of the martyr, but, you know, you can make sure that things are done right. Um, and that, however, does take a commitment. Um, you don't get to start on day one um, burning the barn down, right? But you do need to sort of learn the task, build your credibility, you know, get into a position of, of influence and then you can begin actually making change, but it works. I mean, I've seen it work. Um, and so I definitely would encourage people to consider some sort of public service. It doesn't need to be for the whole career, but at least for a while to see how these um, big agencies and organizations work. It's, it's, it's invaluable information. Rarely do, do government agencies really tend to be 
at least in the U.S., um, all good or all bad. And, and right. fo- these these extreme views that some folks have really don't always line up with the reality, and they haven't likely haven't looked into it deeply. Um, and you, you can't uh, overstate the value of actually um, doing research and reading about uh, sort of the history of like some key intelligence events in the United States and looking at Cold War history and uh, you know just getting a um, a feel for the craft that is not based in popular culture or opinion. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I know nobody um, likes to hear that, I, but you know, reading is essential. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Context and nuance. Uh, you know, I've been I've been in the field for you know three decades now, um, and I really love the field. I'm so passionate about it, and and I'm at that point in career where I'm I'm looking you know at these young folks in their early to mid twenties, and I'm just I'm sort of like I have unbridled enthusiasm and excitement for them because of of the things they can do, and um, you know the students I I have had the uh, pleasure and honor of sort of working with has been amazing. I mean, and, and, uh, they're kind of, they're ready. They're ready to sink their teeth into it. Um, they just, they need to find those positions and, and start just putting in the time. But, um, I feel, you know, as I look at them, they just feel so much more prepared than I was, um, to get in this field. Uh, so. Yeah. We're not even getting um, into my, my path, which is bizarre, but anyway. Yeah. That's right. But, but in, in one sense, maybe I'm, I'm sort of proof of what we're talking and, about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think there's that's the other thing is, is there used to be really a set path, right? You go to university, you get a degree in political science, area studies, whatever. And that's still, for the majority of folks, that's still the way to do it. But I, you don't really need to do that anymore. Um, it makes it easier. There are um, still a lot of agencies sort of think that that is a, a proxy for sort of how good of a subject matter expert you might be. But, you know, I have seen, um, I've seen folks with non-traditional degrees um, do really well in this field. Um, and, and that's something hopefully more and more recruiters um, and companies and agencies will look at in the future is um, trying to find, um, if they, if they don't measure directly for critical thinking and, intellectual curiosity and things like that, they'll find better proxies than having a master's degree in, you know, in this particular field. I don't find that as predictive. Yeah. No, I don't either, but I would still encourage having gone a very, taken a very non-traditional route. I would still encourage people to take the, the traditional route, even um, strongly, you know, support government service. While the non-traditional route may appear uh, easier. I would say it's actually much more difficult, and I've had to do tens of thousands of hours of work to make these kinds of moves throughout my career. Yeah, so I mean, I, I it's think not it's not easier, yeah. right? It's just you you, right. you do a different you do the work slightly differently, but the hours still add up, um, and yeah. you can get there faster and with a bit more security if if you you take the easy way, not the easy way, but the traditional way. Right? Yeah, I guess I guess what I'd say is the door is not as firmly shut if you go a non traditional route. As yeah. it was, you know, ten yeah. or twenty years ago. Um, so, I, you know, I guess um, I would hate for someone who had a degree in English literature um, to think, oh, you know what, I missed my chance. I didn't get the degree in 
you know, um, Far Asian studies, uh, Far East studies. So I'm, just, I'm out. You I might have to, have to be more creative. Um, and you, exactly. ha- you have to find yeah. ways to demonstrate, you know, demonstrate your capabilities. Uh, but those are yeah. all, those are all available to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the best, you know, some of the best resources now, I, I, I know we've talked about this before, um, is don't be timid, you know, be willing to sort of reach out to such subject matter experts have never been more accessible to junior folks or folks who are just thinking about the field. Um, and, take advantage of that. Um, I, I, I'm sure we've all seen it. It's not just in the Intel field. How many folks have, um, sabotage is the wrong word, but let's say, let's say not taken advantage of opportunities because, uh, I don't want to bother them. Who am I, uh, to ask, you know, to approach that person. And yet, um, that is a great, um, a great opportunity that has really sort of opened up to folks, um, again, in the past 10 years. No, and one of the things that I'm always excited about is when somebody, um, you know, that I work with or, or at least in the same organization approaches me and says, I want to do this. Like, can you tell me how, or is there any way I can help? Or, you know, just, you see that, you see a case where somebody's really sort of passionate about the field. And yeah. I almost always find something that they can do to contribute. I don't ever really want to turn a person like that away if it's at all possible. Um, and so it may not be a full-time gig or something, but it might be a place where they could get their feet wet. Yep. And, and not to give up. Um, you know, there was a period after my military service before I got back into the Intel field, I worked in retail banking for like four years. So I knew I wanted to get back in Intel. I just had to be patient and sort of, and when you're in that downtime, take advantage of it, right? Uh, that's where you brush up on your skills, keep doing your reading, you know, what, whatever it may be. Um, uh, in order to make yourself sort of more attractive and more relevant um, for when those opportunities do present themselves. Keep plugging away at it. Um, if, if it. If it's something that you're passionate about doing. And one um, other thing to, to consider um, if you are sort of looking to get into the field is um, once you get outside of the internal community, the number of job titles that encompass um the intelligence, some intelligence work, um, increases, um, by orders of magnitude. Um, there's no standardization that includes both, um, throughout other parts of government service and in the private. Um, so as you're looking for, um, parts of organizations or specific jobs, um, intelligence, just searching for intelligence analysis is not going to, it's going to reveal a fraction of (laughs) the, um, actual jobs that may be relevant for you. So that is that is one of the challenges for folks who are trying to get in the field. Is they, it's just hard to even find what the job is called. Yeah. Um, I've seen them called administrative analyst. Um, you know, I've seen just business analyst. Uh, risk is a uh, risk analyst is a common. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of some bucket. of them that didn't even use the word analyst, which, yeah. which drove me nuts because you know. Um, but my mind is drawing a blank right now, but, but yeah, it, um, that is going to be where you spend a lot of time just trying to sort of hunt down. What are those, what are those actual positions? And then reading some of the job titles because somebody might advertise for an intelligence analyst. And when you read it, you're like, there's nothing in there that has to do with intelligence analysis. (laughs) I don't understand what they're talking about. Because Um, they don't either. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Um, which is often a 
you know, a good indicator of whether you should um, take that, that position or not. Um, but th- that is, that's one of the biggest challenges is just the diversity of job titles that are out there and, and not being able to sort of easily um, figure out what, in fact, people are trying to hire for. That's, that's tough. Um, but again, this is where things like professional organizations um, that are open to, you know, almost anybody um, are really worth exploring, building those, building those connections and networks. Um, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of using sort of LinkedIn for jobs. Uh, you've talked uh, on numerous occasions, numerous guests about the, uh, <laughs> the perils of that. Uh, if you want to work for a foreign intelligence service, it's a great tool. <laughs> exactly. Unintentionally, yeah. right? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not a huge fan either. And again, you know, hopefully, ideally, people think about what kind of career they want and what kind of profile Um you know, they need to have to make that happen um, before right. they, before they start just throwing those things on there. Uh, and that's another m- mistake that I see folks earlier in their career make is immediately throwing that stuff on their LinkedIn. Yeah. And you don't know where your career is going to go at that stage. And a lot of doors could open for you. And it's, um, it's tough because you're trying to establish yourself and trying to find that next opportunity. But even if you're in the, the private sector, discretion is still uh, likely going to benefit you more than advertising. Yeah, uh, I hope this helps some of your listeners. Um, and uh, they are motivated to sort of either um, take the plunge or, or go back and take a second look at what, what opportunities are out there. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm always willing to help folks when they contact me. But, you know, just a reminder from other other episodes if you want to go work for cia fbi and do sensitive work or if you want to actually get these for other other countries as well if you want to go work for a competing intelligence service like just don't send me any of those emails please (laughs) contact the agency that you want to work for there are plenty of resources online they have their own you know they have they have forms where you can contact them or submit an application so Go that route. Don't contact random people on the internet. You know, your secret is safe with me, but I'm I'm not going to reply to you and I can't help you and that's for your own good. Yes, definitely reach out to those agencies that, that you're interested in and do a little research and find out which ones you, you, you know, may want to work for. And, and again, um, I can't emphasize this enough. Don't, you know, these in your backyard, you know, don't, uh, don't think the one in the Emerald City is, is always better. Um, sometimes, um, those those local agencies are a great place to um, get a start and make those contacts for you to sort of move on if you choose to, um, you know, in a couple of years. Well, Dean, I appreciate it. This is, uh, you know, we've sort of rambled on here, but I, there's a tremendous amount of interest in this. And uh, I think a lot of folks will find this helpful. Uh, thank you again. You have been listening to Covert Contact from Blogs of War. This podcast is produced, written, and hosted by John Little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening.